Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal, Part 8 of N, Processes. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials written by Bart Bouchotts over at bartb.ie slash ttt. This originally aired as part of NoSilicast episode 436, hosted at podfeed.com. I'm Allison Sheridan, host of the NoSilicast podcast, and the other voice you're about to hear is Bart Bouchotts of bartb.ie. So after many weeks of absence, I think it's time to dive back into the terminal. What Yay! Do you think? I do. I want to play. Excellent. So part eight of N, we are now leaving behind the file system, and we are Ooh. diving into another very important concept, which is processes. Hmm. And so we're going we're gonna to do our little theoretical start, as always, lay a little bit of groundwork, and then today we're going to look at the commands for looking at processes, and then next time we're going to look at commands for affecting them, which basically means starting them and stopping them, Ooh. or to use the actual Linuxy term, killing them, which is much more fun. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, depending on how fancy we want to get, I may... Well, no, we leave, I, I won't tease what I might do, because I mightn't do it. Um, so today, we just want to look at sort of the big picture and the commands for seeing what is running. And we're going to leave it at that for today. So let's give some context to this. Some of us have been around for a wee while. And uh, we would have been using computers before multitasking. So nowadays we take it completely for granted that, of course, you can do lots of things for at once. I mean, you can do it on your desktops, your laptops, your tablets, your phones. Of course you can multitask. Right. But that hasn't always been a given. And iOS actually, 7? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, uh, not I, iOS. I'm sorry. Only. OS 7. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and uh, through nine, you, you, yeah, up to nine was no multitasking, right? or no seven was when it became multitasking. I think. Yeah, I wasn't in the Mac camp then, but basically, uh, DOS no multitasking for me. Multitasking is a Windows three point one feature. Uh, <laughs> in, in my world, okay. I'm not sure there's plenty of people in my world, but anyway. So historically speaking, you had one CPU per device. That's not true anymore either. But you know, let's go back in time. You had one CPU, and it could do one thing at a time. And so you would boot up DOS and you would tell DOS, load this program. The program is then the only thing running. And when it's finished, it hands control back to DOS. And so at any point in time, there's just one thing running. Either DOS, your app, or DOS again. Actually, okay. they wouldn't use the word app, would they? They wouldn't no. use the word program. But anyway, you get the idea. I hate um, the word app, by the way. I really do. It's an application. Why do we call them apps? Application is oh. a big word. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Maybe I'm playing the cranky part tonight. If you like. <laughs> and disk operating systems. Uh, we could get very long with it. Anyway, um, so then Windows 3.1 came along and gave us the feeling that we were multitasking, but the hardware hadn't changed. My little 386 with 4 megabytes of RAM and 16 megahertz of processor that was running Windows 3.1, it didn't have multiple CPUs, and yet it appeared, as far as me, the human, could see, to be doing multiple things at once. How? Well, the answer is software. And uh, the key to all of this is that computers work on a much faster timescale than us little old people. We see at 25 frames a second, or is it 24? But 20-ish frames a second, anyway. Whereas even back in 1992, when Windows 3.1 came out, computers were measured in megahertz which is millions of processes per second. So what was actually going on is that Windows, the operating system, had created a software abstraction for a process, as we're going to call it, which is a thread of execution, to use a computer science term for it. And it would simply swap them, 
many thousand times a second. And so you, the person, would see lots of things happening at once. But actually, internally within the computer, what was happening was Windows was taking a process that was running. So it would use a hardware interrupt to say every N CPU cycles, Mr. Hardware Computer Chip, call me. That's what a hardware interrupt does. And it would say, right, whoever's running in the CPU, now I'm going to take you out of the CPU. I'm going to save your state. So you're using this register, you're using this RAM, whatever. Save your state, put it on the file system somewhere. I'm going to take another process that I, that I had stopped a while ago, put it back in, and then say to the CPU, go. It's going to run for, say, a thousand executions or whatever. So like, you know, a tiny, tiny fraction of a second. And then the hardware interrupt was going to fire again. Windows is going to jump in and yoink that process out, save it away, plonk another one in. And it just does this thousands of times a second. And we as humans have no idea that what's actually happening is that there's one thing happening at a time. <laughs> it, just it just feels like, like multitasking. It feels like multitasking, and it's great. Is it, there's a lot of argument in uh, uh, mental circles about whether or not humans can multitask, and the, and the claim is that we mm. don't. We do exactly what you just described. We just do yeah, this, and, and then this, 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 except we're not nearly as good at it as a computer. <laughs> And men have a slower integration time, <laughs> about I'm, five I'm, minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry to be uh, agree with you a thousand percent. <laughs> there are certainly exceptions to that rule, but... Uh, on average, we shall say, because there are individual men who can multitask and individual sure. women who can't. But on average, it's a pretty safe bet that we're worse at it than you. By the way, observing, <laughs> observing, observing Steve, he does not multitask at all, but he also pays attention better when he's on one task. Because he's not, his brain isn't flitting hmm. around doing 28 things. So I blame that for why he got better grades than me in college when we sat side by side and I did all the homework and reading and he did There's most of the homework. And, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all swings and roundabouts. It's not better. It's just different. Anyway. Yeah. So since then, our hardware has moved on a bit, right? It's now quite normal to have sort of the first advance from having a single CPU in your computer was that you still had one CPU. But you get, you did something called hyper-threading. Have you ever I heard remember, of this? Yeah, I remember when that came out. So hyper-threading means that it's one physical CPU, but it can do two things at once. So now you've doubled the amount of simultaneous tasks. The next step was to say, we'll take one physical CPU, but we'll, we can now make them so small that we can fit two physical CPUs onto the size of one CPU. And so we call that multi-core. So a two-core CPU is actually two CPUs in one. Quad-core is actually four CPUs in one. And what we also do these days is we take many of these many core multi-threaded chips and put them together. So if you buy an OctoMac, you actually get two quad-core hyper-threaded processors, which gives you a total of 32 virtual CPUs or 32 effective CPUs. Or, you know, you to, to hear you saying four quad-core multi-threaded CPUs, it sounds like in the old days when guys would sit around and talk about dual overhead cams. <laughs> oh, yes. look at that four quad-core. <laughs> I don't. Um, I can but explain it now. <laughs> the, the application has to be hyper-threaded as well. Like if just because you've okay. got these hyper-threaded CPUs does not mean that your application can take advantage of it necessarily. No, but we don't run one thing. Remember. So right, but some applications can be multi-threaded by themselves. So do a bunch yes, of calculations at the okay. same time. I, we'll Did I jump ahead? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. we're getting there. We will go there. Okay. Um, so. One of our shiny, fancy, the best possible Mac Pro you can buy until the shiny new one comes out can do 32 things at once. Hmm. But 32 possible processes is still actually not enough to use our, our regular computer. If you just boot up your Mac, there's more than 32 processes running most probably. Hmm. So even today, we still do the trick where we're constantly swapping processes in and out. But instead of swapping them in and out on one thread, we're swapping a bunch of them in and out together. So 
I mean, most of us don't have 32 uh, threads running at once. We don't all own OctoMax. So my 2009 uh, iMac, which I very much hope to replace this year, mm. is running a Core Duo processor. So I have one single-core hyper-threaded CPU. So I have two. I can do two things at once. Aww. If you have an i5, you have a dual-core multi-threaded, so you can do four things at once. And if you have an i7, I think you can do eight things at once. So mm. If you have menu meters, how many of those little men- little bouncy things there are for the CPU will tell you how many threads you have. Right, so right, right. But we need more than that. So we're still doing that trick of just sharing the time. And it's not shared in a simple round-robin fashion. Believe I, I've done this because I, I studied computer science. There's an entire semester in how the operating system chooses who to let on next and how long to let them on. Because some things you want to be higher priority than others so that things feel more fluid it's actually really difficult we don't care about that what we care about is the fact that what's actually happening is this is the operating system is intelligently swapping in and out processes keeping all the balls in the air like a juggler can only actually physically hold one ball and yet all these balls are magically hanging in space same idea it's just juggling all these processes and we think it's running simultaneously so now let's let's okay that's our background um some of the things i guess we should say just is that um there's not a one-to-one mapping between processes and apps. So, like you said, if you have an app that's just a single thread of execution, that single app can't be spread over multiple CPUs because it is going to be on one CPU or the other at any one time. But some applications have lots and lots and lots of threads, and so each thread can go on a separate CPU, and then the app can make use of the fact that you have lots of CPUs. A good example would be if you're trying to render, say, a video edit, you just break the job into lots of little pieces and give a little piece to each process and send each process to a different CPU, and you now have 32 times as efficient as you would have been on a single core. And you can do that. But So don't think of it as being a one-to-one mapping between a process and an app. A simpler example would be a word processing app. You have one process that actually does the, you know, the shiny bit you see, and an entirely separate process which is running around checking your spelling for you in the background. Right, right. Oh, that's a good uh, point. Okay, I got you. So there's lots of examples like that. Um, the other thing is that um, processes sort of fall into two general categories. You'll hear people talk about system processes and about user processes. System processes are things started by the operating system. User processes are things started by you clicking on something or typing a command or in some way interacting with the computer. Um, the other thing, just to get the two words in, is um, when one app, so when you double-click an app, you're starting one process, and that process can then choose to start other processes to help it do its work. And that's called either forking or spawning, which is cool. And the little processes you make are called child processes, which is cute. <laughs> right, right. Um, the other thing to say is that not every process that's running on our modern operating systems is in any way visible in our UI. So for everything in the UI, there is a process. So every app you have open is at least one process. Everything in your menu bar, there's at least one process. But there are lots of things running on your Mac that are, do not have a window associated with them, do not have a menu bar icon, and are not in the dock. They're still running. So not everything that's running is visible to you in the UI. That doesn't mean it's not running. So with that general stuff said, let's look a little more specifically at Unix Linux Mac, the, the, the Starnix approach, because Windows does things differently, and I'm not going to confuse us. But the Linuxes and the Unixes generally speaking, agree, because they all come from Unix anyway. By the way, when he says star Nix, he, he basically means an asterisk, meaning anything with the word Nix at the end of it. So Unix or Linux or... Yeah, that doesn't, star Nix is what people say, but it doesn't actually make any sense. Right. Because <laughs> Linux is UX at the end, but anyway. 
<laughs> Linux, Unix, or OS X, right? We know I what we mean. Type. Yeah, right, I couldn't right. type it over and over again, so Starnix. Um, so in one of our Unix-y style systems, be it you know Ubuntu, OS X, or some other Unix, every process has a unique identifier, which is a number, which is called the process ID, or for short, the PID, the PID. Uh, there are just numbers, and they start, so every every process that starts gets assigned the next process ID. So the very first thing to execute gets the process ID of zero, which is the kernel of your OS. And then the kernel will then start other tasks, and they'll just go up in number. So if you're in a Linux system, the process ID that has the, the PID of one is something called init, and init's job is to start all the system processes that make Linux Linux. So and you should OS probably 10, never kill process one. If you want to just make your computer just... <laughs> That would be a way to do it, yeah. That, that'll certainly achieve the goal. That might be fun to do once. <laughs> once. I mean, a reboot, uh, a reboot would fix it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you could figure out if the computer could even reboot at that point. I'd turn it off and turn it on again. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Disconnect from the mains. Um, on OS X, we don't use init. Init is old-fashioned. We actually use a much nicer system called LaunchD or LaunchDemon. So on OS X, oh. we'll see the process ID of one is always LaunchD. And LaunchD will basically say, oh, you've connected in a network cable, I think. I should start up your web server. Oh, I think I should start MDNS so you can do bonjour. Oh, I think you need blah, blah, blah. And so LaunchD is responsible for all those, all those many tens of system processes that are happening in the background. LaunchD fires those off for you. And so it's always a process ID of one. And the longer you leave your Mac running, the bigger your process IDs will get. So I reboot my Mac very seldomly. And right now my process IDs are up to five digits. Oh, that doesn't wow. mean I'm running 100,000 things at once, but it means that I have run 100,000 things since I last rebooted. In <laughs> fact, 800,000 things, to be precise. Wow. <laughs> I haven't rebooted in a while. So here's a bonus tip. The command to see how long since you rebooted oh, is called... Oh, I was up just going to tell that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so it's uptime. If, if, if you're curious, it, it's a real nerd thing, right, where system admins running servers would sort of brag at each other about who has the biggest uptime. <laughs> And then people say, oh, no, I'm not patching the kernel because then I'll have to reboot and you'll have a bigger uptime than me. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> security, you idiot. <laughs> anyway, that's an aside. Um, so every process has a process ID. And as well as having a process ID, every process, except for one, has something called a parent process ID or a PPID. And so the one that doesn't have oh. a PPID is the kernel because it's the first one to start. So... The kernel starts in or launch D, so launch D's parent process ID is zero, and many, many, many things have a parent process ID of one, which is launch D or init.d. So what is, what is the parent process ID again? I, I never heard of the, that. It's the process ID of the process that started you. Okay. So I'm looking which, at Google Chrome right now, and it's got a PPID of 5030. If I could find 5030 on my left column, then that would tell me... What that was. What the chances are it would be login. Because every time you log into OS 10, you start a process called login, which will then create doc for you, create a menu bar for you, create your desktop for you. And then okay. everything you launch will actually be launched by your login process. So the parent process ID of most things you do will be your login process or a process that was started by your login process. So if you have just one link back, you get a hierarchy. Because everything was either started by an it dot, by LaunchD or started by something that was started by LaunchD or started by something that was started by something that was started by LaunchD. But just now, having a parent ID gives you the full hierarchy. Now, you said that uh, init uh, had a process ID of one, and then you said we have LaunchD as the equivalent yeah. of init. But my LaunchD is not process ID one. It's 4795. Well, that means actually that LaunchD crashed and restarted. 
Hmm. Which uh, the colonel will restart Launch D if it if you, if if you kill the colonel, that's it. Good night and good luck. But if Launch D dies, the colonel will restart it because it'll say, "Oh my god, I've lost my Launch D," and it will create hmm. a new one. Um, so it should actually that, that it's a potential sign that something made Launch D cranky. Now it didn't make it very cranky because it obviously restarted just fine and it's running now. Uh, but that doesn't mean something happened. I have been having some curious behaviors where my Mac won't l- wake up and stuff. And had to, huh. had to like, literally, po- yesterday had to power it down and power it back up. So I wonder well, if that I'm is getting some intermittent stuff going on. Yeah, well, so, anyway. yeah it should be one. So there you okay. go. That's interesting. Hmm. Where was I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, I don't so know. They all have a, par- a process ID and a parent process ID. So you have this hierarchy. So you always know who started you. Um, the other thing, then, is that in a Unix-based system, every process has a a user associated with it. So a process runs as a user. And this is ties right back into everything we've been talking about up until now, where what files an app can access or a process can access is determined by the Unix file permissions because every process is running as someone. And then that's the someone you use to check the permissions against. So if you double-click the finder, or if you, well, the finder's about it, if you double-click Safari... Safari will only be able to access things that you can access because Safari is running as you, because you started it. Okay, right. Okay, so right, every, right. every process is associated with a user. Um, <clears throat> then that's, actually, that, to be honest, that's the important stuff. There is also okay. a concept of a priority, which is called a, a process's niceness, which is a, a nice word for priority. But we're not going to look at nicing, although... You, if you want to do something in the background, say, do you remember it used to be very fashionable to have these SETI at home screensavers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you can do for that kind of process is you can use a command called renice to redefine the niceness of that process and make it very, very nice. And nice processes don't demand CPU time. They'll just take it if they're given. And really important processes, you make them very mean, so you give them a very low niceness. <laughs> and then they demand CPU time. That's I love that they called it that. that. That's adorable. Yeah, it is. Um, so if you really want to get nerdy, you can look at the renice and stuff like that. But we're not going to be looking at any of that kind of stuff. Um, so at this stage, I think we're ready for our first terminal command. Oh, thank goodness. And the first, so ls lists files. Do you want to have a guess what might list processes? Yes, but I read ahead. Yeah. Okay, you did. Okay. Well, it's still a reasonable <laughs> guess, right? Even yeah. if you hadn't read ahead, you probably would have done and that. Now so, it'll help me remember it. Yeah, ls and ps are good friends. Now, by default, ps is not particularly useful. It will just list the terminal-based processes that you're running. So the terminal-based processes is running as the user that you opened your terminal as, which means the chances are if you have one terminal window, you will see a grand total of one command, which will be bash, which is your shell. Yeah, that's not very interesting, Bart. Not very interesting. Not very useful. Poor default. <laughs> More useful would be to say, show me all of my processes. So ps space minus u for username followed by any username you like, and then you'll see all of that user's processes. Ooh. Now, the most usual one is your own. So in your case, PS minus U, Allison. In my case, PS minus U, Bart. And that will be a much bigger list. That's a lot of glop. It is a lot of glop, and you'll see that most of the glop is in your slash applications folder. Yeah. Um, a bunch of stuff in system library core services. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. And uh, depending on what browser you're using, you may notice an interesting fact that most modern browsers have a separate process for each tab. So I have more Google Chrome processes than I care to admit to, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. A lot at of that. tabs open. <laughs> oh, now here's a little user hint. You want to make sure your window is pretty wide when you run this command because it cuts it off. And when you make it wider, it doesn't 
Make it wider. Yes. You have to run the it, command again. It will sense how much room you have and it will keep telling you stuff as long as it can. Um, and some of them, like you see the full command. So in some of them, like the Google Chrome ones have like, you know, minus minus type equals renderer, minus minus language equals ENGB, minus minus blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Bunch of options. So you can see all that stuff. And if you were to launch something from the terminal, which we we will be talking about next week because we haven't learned how to do that yet, you'll see those processes come up here. And so this is everything that your user is doing, whether it be in the terminal or whether it be just anywhere on your Mac. And so you can see that even, well, I'm a, I am multitask like, like Billy O. So for me, it's a lot, a lot of processes. Um, three screenfuls. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can see there's a lot of stuff going on. So that's the first you know, useful command. Something else you might want to see is By not way, just... One thing they may not know, if they haven't been mm-hmm. playing along very long, um, is that to repeat the... I said to repeat the command with your window wider. Just hit the up arrow and it gives you the same command a second time and you can hit enter so you don't have to type it every time. Yes, and that buffer goes back effectively to infinity so you can keep hitting the up arrow to see back in time. Yeah. Really handy when you do a complicated one and you made one typo. Yes. Control <laughs> A brings you to the start of the line, by the way. Ooh. If it's a, if it's a long command, Control A is your friend. I did not know that. A little further in the series, I actually have a whole bunch of those little tips planned to go together. Because there's okay. a control or is very useful as well. There's a bunch of them. But we'll save it's nice those to have a few at a time, though, so that you get the... Uh... Well, for now, you see our commands are all quite short and simple. Mm. When I introduce you to what I call plumbing, that's going to change. And at that okay. stage, being able to move around becomes quite useful. Yeah. Anyway, okay. so uh, enough teasing. So PS minus U space username will show you all of the commands for a user, but maybe you actually want to see all of the commands for, like everyone. And uh, the command for that is PS minus... Now, this is... right. The PS command is is a rarity and it's annoying. So most of the time in this entire series, what I say works on the Mac will work exactly the same on uh, Linux and exactly the same on Unix. So it's generally the same. The, the PS command isn't like that. So if you're living in Linux land, it's PS space minus lowercase e to see everything which is how you remember that one. Mm-hmm. If you're living in Unix land, it's PS minus capital A for all. Hmm. She, everything. Now, OS X okay. is friendly in this case because it will take either. It doesn't care whether oh. you talk Linux at it or Unix at it. It'll say, ooh, okay then. And it'll do its thing. So PS minus either, depending on what you find easiest to remember, I go with E because it's not uppercase and so it's one less key press. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, nerdy as anything. Exactly. Um, and... That will list all of your processes, which in my case is 275 of them. So how do you know it's 275? Because I cheated using the word count command, which we haven't <laughs> talked about plumbing yet. So. Cheater. Cheater. Yes, I'm cheating. Okay. It's a lot of screenfuls, now, though. Is, is uh, everyone or all, is that, uh, does that include the system processes or just it all does. users? Oh, it does. No, no, it's, it's just every process. There's okay. Everything that's going on. So it's not everyone, it's every it, yeah, it's E for E for every, A for all. Okay. Uh, and it's, there's a lot going on. Uh, now, by default, the PS command, as well as not showing you very much until you'd use at least one flag, also doesn't actually give you terribly useful output. So by default, we get four columns, two of which are pretty much useless to us. So the first command is the process ID, and that's good to know, because if you're going to use the terminal to interact with the command, with the process you need to know its process ID because that's how you tell the computer what process it is you're trying to kill or whatever, or re-nice or whatever it is you're trying to do to the process. So the PID is important and they give us that as the first column. So far, so good. The second column they give us is the TTY, which is 
something that has no meaning on modern computers. <laughs> it's a complete relic of the days of physical terminals. It's basically what terminal you're connected in on. Great. Hmm. We use soft terminals, i.e. terminal windows, instead of physical terminals, as in screens and keyboards. Um, and so every you'll notice that every terminal window has a TTYS, which is a soft TTY. But really, we don't care. It's just useless to us. Do we really care which terminal window the command was running? Really? Nope. nope. Mm-hmm. The next one, then, is time, which is a bizarre way of measuring how much CPU time your process is using, which seems to me unintelligible to human beings. So, meh, not interested in that one either. And then the last one is the actual command that's running in that process. So that's actually useful. So the first one's useful, the last one's useful. It's actually missing the really important information, like mm, who's running this process? Yeah. That would be nice to know. Yeah. Not there. So we need to make it give us more information. Now, do you want to hazard a guess as how we might try to do that? I've cheated again. I've read ahead. And you, you, uh, we're okay. going to add a flag. We're going to add a flag, and we're going to add a first guess. I think it's reasonable to try minus L. That worked so well for LS. Well, oh, let's see if that go. does. Okay. We do that, and it definitely shows us more information. There can be no doubt that there is more here now. And if we scroll way back up to get the column headers, we have the UID, which is unfortunately not as useful as we'd like. That's the numeric ID of the user that owns the process. Now, none of us know what our UIDs are, or probably don't, mm-hmm. uh, because we think in terms of username. So that's annoying that it's gone as a UID instead of a username. Then we have the PID column. That's useful. We have the PPID column. That's useful. Parent process ID. And we have a whole bunch of other columns. And then finally, at the very end, we have the CMD column again. But By the really, way, the, you combined those two flags. You did the minus L, but you also had the minus E, so you had PS space minus EL. That, yes, sorry, I should okay. have been more explicit about that, because yes, without the minus E, you're still only seeing those, like, you know, one process. You'll see it in lots of detail, but you're not going to see very much without the minus E. Right. Uh, and you can do PS minus L space minus U space username if you want as well. That'll also work. Can I but derail again, you one more time and make this uh, yeah. all about me? Um the PPID of a lot of my uh, processes says um, one, meaning LaunchD was the uh, initiating process. And actually, mm. uh, the very top one says slash sbin slash LaunchD is the command, and its PID is one. Oh, well, then maybe you have more than one instance of LaunchD running if you said LaunchD had a different process ID. Yeah, earlier. yeah. But yeah, I would expect to see LaunchD at the top of the list with the, with the PID of one and the PPID of zero. Anyway, okay. so minus L hasn't actually given us, it's given us a lot, but it actually hasn't given us what we really wanted, which is who's running this process? So the next command to try, and I have no idea where it came from, I think it was just a free letter, is minus EJ. <laughs> it was like this letter was laying around, nobody was using it. Right, and that now replaces, it gives us very similar information to minus L, a little bit less of it, uh, but the most important thing it does is it changes the first column from the user ID to the username. Um, something you may notice is some of them start with an underscore. You may not. If you scroll through it, you see the underscore spotlight, underscore recorder, audio, underscore window server. I'm just noticing here. I lost you. What are we we doing with J again? Okay. So, uh, PS space minus EJ. Oh, but we don't know why we're doing it. EJ gives, yeah, EJ, right. J is just a letter they had free. It gives us like L, it gives us more information, but different more. Okay, so what column you want me to look at for some underscore stuff? So the first column is now the the username instead of the user ID. So now it's become useful, right? Right, 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 right. right. Okay. And so there's obvious ones in there like root. Okay, root runs the kernel, root runs all the really, really high-level stuff because root can do anything. Ooh, Uh, I've got one run by nobody. 
Ah, yes, nobody is the Linux one for... This is actually, nobody is very old, but nobody's cool. So if you have a Linux process that you're afraid could get hijacked, a good example would be DNS processes, which mm. historically were prone to being stolen. Um, they run as the user nobody, which has no rights to any files. So if those processes oh. get hijacked, they're powerless. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. So nobody okay. is good to see. And so you'll notice that there... What, let me see what's running as nobody here. That's a bunch of demons and stuff. Uh, Worm D. Yeah, that sounds like it's warming up my computer. It may be looking to see whether the fans need to be turned on, or it may just be completely nothing to do with warmness. Who knows? Oh, my, my Fitbit demon is run by nobody. Very sensible, because really your Fitbit demon shouldn't be allowed to tinker with other stuff. Yeah. So that makes sense. Then what OS X have done is they've introduced this sort of, it's not even a rule, it's a convention, that any of the usernames that have been created by OS X for the purpose of doing only systemy stuff that no one should be allowed to log in as... Start with an underscore. So oh, okay. The so core services demon, which is doing um, M- bonjour, is running as underscore mdns responder. Yes. You'll see that the network is running as underscore network d. NetBIOS, if you, if you have Windows file sharing turned on, NetBIOS will be running as underscore NetBIOS. Apparently, I do because I have that. Underscore Windows Server is actually doing the UI, drawing the picture you're looking at now. Underscore Core Audio D is making the sound come out of your Mac. Hmm. underscore Windows Server is controlling when you create new windows and things. Let me so make sure these, I followed you. You said things that start with underscore are things that nobody the, the, can... They are run... They are run there, are, there are users, right? So the, the user underscore core audio is running whatever the app is listed on the far side. So user libexec, something that is run by core audio. So they're usernames, but those are usernames that, that OS X won't let you log in as. You can't log in as the user underscore spotlight. The user exists and has permissions, but you can't log in as them. And so underscore just means this is a hidden system user, not a real user like Allison or Bart. So it's it's just a convention, right? I'm only mentioning it because you're going to notice them. And you're going to say, why is there an underscore there? And the answer is it's a convention that OS X uses to signify to people, this user is only to be used for doing system stuff. It's not a user in the conventional sense, as in you can't log into your computer as USB MUXD. Okay, got it, got it. So at this stage, we're actually quite useful, but there's actually a lot of extra detail that we don't really care about. So if you really actually want to get good output from PS, I'm afraid to say your only real option is to use the wonderful minus O flag, which lets you specify an output format. And you literally tell it, I want this column, this column, this column, and this column. So the first thing to say is, if you want to see a list of all available columns, the command is PS space minus capital L, and it will list out all of the different column names you can try. And what you will see is there's a staggeringly large amount of them. Oh, and in a really annoying alphabetical horizontal format. (laughs) Yes, without telling you what they do. So you kind of have to make educated guesses. Okay. Like I say, these commands are not pleasant. Now, what I would suggest is a very useful one, which you would copy and paste, is PS space minus E for everything, space minus O for I'd like to specify an output format, space, user comma, no space, PID, comma, no space, percent CPU, comma, no space, percent mem, comma, command. Make sure not to put any spaces after those commas, because otherwise... And that's PID is caps? No. Well, it can be if you like, but... Oh, okay. None of these are capitalized in the show notes. Okay. And if you do that, you will get an output with what I think are very sensible column headers. So... Um, who's running the process? What ID it has? How much percent of my uh, CPU it's using? How much percent of my RAM it's using? And what it is? So user, PID, percent CPU, percent mem, command. 
To me, that's sensible information. It's sort of like what you want to get with uh, menu meters or one of those yeah, kind of tools, exactly. right? Well, yeah, what is going on? Who is eating all of my RAM? Ah, you. Now, or I to actually menus. answer that question, you actually want to add one more thing to this. So we now have all processes. We now have the columns we want and only the columns we want. What we're missing is sorting. Yeah, so, yeah this is kind of a mess. It is kind of a mess. Uh, so what you need to know is that if you want to sort, the flags are minus or to sort for CPU. I'm assuming because that was the only free letter, because it certainly doesn't make sense. And minus M for memory, which does make sense. So at the end Wait, what of... Was, so it, what was R for again? CPU. By so CPUs. if you want stuff sorted by CPU, which is actually one of the ones you probably do want to use most often. What, why is my computer running so slow? What is it that's taking all of my CPU? I'm going to look here, and I'm going to place a wild guess. It'll be Skype at the moment. I can't imagine. <laughs> yes, it is, unsurprisingly. Um, and then the other one is minus M, if you want to see the memory. And uh, in that case, I'm going to take a wild guess. It'll be Firefox, because Firefox is a hog. And scrolling up, yes, it is, taking up 8% of my entire RAM. You lost me. So you can't do these at the same time. You can't do E, well, can't R, and M together. Well, no, because that doesn't make sense. Why? You're asking it to sort on memory. Oh, yeah, that would be dumb. So what, you know, make up your mind. What are you sorting on? <laughs> Shut up. No, wait a minute. <laughs> so I did E-O-M. Okay, no, no, you know, the O has to be separate so that you can give it the big list of columns. So P-S space minus E-M, everything sorted by memory, space minus O for I'm going to tell you a big list of columns I want, space, my well, list that, of columns. It's messy. Well, that's weird, though. I did minus E-O originally. Now I have to have the O separate from the E. Why? I have to have uh, minus E and minus O, but I had minus E O before. Uh, minus E O will probably work as long as there's a space after the O followed by a list of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, you can have minus E M O if you like. As long as there's a oh, space. Oh, the O after. probably has to be last. The O has maybe. to be last because it takes that column of, you know, that list of headers is part of the O. Okay. I got, I got a fear. Java's killing me here. Java's, I, I quit my backup before I started this in, uh, in mm. CrashBand, and it's still out there. Ooh. Yeah, CrashBand mm. may be being a bit crashy. Yeah, it does this a lot. Kind of annoying. Mostly during the live show when I really need my CPU. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, one of the nice things, if, if you do minus EMR to see, sorry, ERO to see by CPU, one of the nice things to notice is that um, CloudMaxAV is like way down the list, and it's also way down the list on RAM usage. It's nicely just not being a hug, nice. which is good. Yeah, CPU so, does like, uh, I'm sorry, Skype does like the CPU, doesn't it? Oh, Piezo likes it too, because it's, it's recording for us right now, so that, that's, that's acceptable. Yeah. So this is a snapshot in time. And snapshots can be useful, but what's usually more useful is not a snapshot, but a real-time updating live list of things. Mm-hmm. And so the command for that is top, which this is, is my top favorite process. command. I run yes. this all the time. I love it. So we just hit top, and we won't give it any arguments for now. We bring it up, and uh, depending on how wide your window is, you'll get more or less columns. So if you've widened and your window, this one live out, updates, which is nice. Yeah. So if you widened your screen right out last time you're going to have a lot of columns, and a lot of them you're really not going to care about. Um, but you can, you can squish it back in, and it'll only show you sensible stuff. Well, that actually, hang on. Uh, no, because the very last column is user. Yeah, I know. So That's if silly. you squish it, oh, you lose that. Yeah, 
And now, thankfully, you're generally more, more interested. Generally speaking, in the real world, the reason you want top is to get the process ID of whatever is eating all of your resources. Oh, okay. Now, where OS X definitely is annoying and definitely is really very dumb is its default sort order. So on Linux, the default sort order when you just type top within any arguments is percentage CPU use. Because you want to know what your top processes are. And to me, top means the biggest hugs. Mm-hmm. OS X, the default sort order is process ID. So it's actually recent. Oh, you're right. It's basically... Yeah, because Skype's way down the process. list. Yeah. I thought... dumb. I could have sworn that it showed percent CPU as the sort order. No, Evidently not. not. On, Linux. <laughs> on Linux it does. Not on huh. OS X. So no. you can change the order is the good news. So if you hit the O key, you'll see a little prompt comes up. So actually, right, before we do that, actually, your screen or your display is broken into two distinct parts. You have a bunch of metadata at the top, followed by a tabular list of processes. Okay, so you can see those two distinct sections there, yeah? Wait, wait, say that again? Okay, so you you run the top command, and at the top, at the top of top, sorry, Uh you have some metadata, stuff like process, 247 total, three running, whatever, Oh, CPU oh, oh above that. Okay, got yeah, you. So you have a bunch yeah. of metadata, then a gap of one line, and then a list of processes. Okay. So if you hit the O key, you'll see that in that one line gap between those two sections, it suddenly becomes a prompt, which allows you to specify the column to sort on. So if you type O, it says right now the primary key, and then it says in brackets what it currently is, is minus PID. Now the first character has to be either minus for descending order or plus for ascending order, and then the name of, then a column. So if you say minus CPU, enter, now you have what you actually wanted. Okay, let me try that. Sorry, my screen, my thing is so big, I have to, and when I'm looking back at what you said to type, I have to, uh, oh, come <laughs> on. Wait, it's not scrolling. Oh, I have to control C to get out of it. No, 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 I mean when you're in top. Wait, What? Okay, right. So I'm in top. Let's start over. Okay, I'm in top again. Okay, hit the O key and watch very carefully what happens in that blank line between the oh, headers. Oh my gosh! Right. Okay. Not obvious, but there it is. And wait, now, some some it wrote primary key. Yeah, and then it says in square brackets what it's currently sorting on. Minus so for you, PID. It's probably minus PID colon. But if I put now minus you can CPU. Type, yeah, so oh. you type minus CPU and hit enter, and now it's sorted by CPU. Oh, that's really cool. I'm glad we did it twice because I've. Was really it's really confused. Yeah. And the other one, which is even more icky, if you want to sort by RAM, you might think, oh, minus mem, surely. No, don't be silly. What? So you hit the O key, mm-hmm. you get the prompt again, and you type minus V size. Oh, come on. Yeah, don't ask me why. <laughs> I'm never going to remember that. I'm just going to have You're to bookmark not. this episode. Yeah, but don't worry. You're not going to have to remember it because actually we have a, an interesting conclusion coming up. Okay, okay, so you can do that. Now it's sorted by RAM usage. Wait, where did RAM? Where is it in this list? V size. You're gonna to have to make your screen big to even see V size. Okay, I've scrolled it off screen to the right. Uh, it's the one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, seven, there eight, it is. Twelfth column, I think. If Kernel I task. That's helpful. That's my my, my biggest. Memory yeah. Thing? So the system. Yeah. Okay. Now that includes stuff that's paged out. So my kernel task is ten gigs. I, but I have 16 gigs of RAM. But no, it's not all in RAM. So that's actually your total memory usage, both physically in RAM. And Whoa, so mail is taking up four gig? Yeah, Holy that's Holy cannoli. 
That's that. That's not too bad, actually. Tweetbot's got four gig. Yeah, you'll be amazed sometimes. Browsers are the worst. Wait, how can they? Wait, wait, wait. All these V size numbers are giant. How can they all be taking this much memory? memory. That's including virtual memory. Okay, so that's what you meant when you said that it includes page outs. Yeah, so it includes the full, what it's logically addressing, which is in physical RAM and sitting in your swap file. Remember, your swap file is probably huge. So it's getting little plus and minuses next to them. What does that mean? Increasing, decreasing, I think. Yeah. If you watch them. So depending on since the last update, whether they went up or down or stayed about the same, they'll have pluses, minuses, or nothing. Wow. So it gives you sort of a quick idea of trend. It's like so watching the stock cool. market on a ticker. Yeah. Now, the, the, to get out, you can either control C, which is the brute force way out, or you can hit the Q key for quick. Ah, okay. Now, if you don't like doing that O and then typing the prompt, you can do it all from the command line. So top space, minus O space, minus CPU, enter, and then you get your CPU sorting straight off the bat. And the same for your V size. Okay. So minus Q. CPU is the most fun to one to watch. CPU is what you usually want because usually you're going into top because there's something something not right. And you want to know who, who's being a hug. Right, right. Yeah. Now, go back into top for a second. It doesn't matter what you sort on because I want to draw your attention to something else, which is very oh. useful to keep an eye on. So you will see that the second line of the metadata at the top is load average colon. And then you get three numbers separated by a comma. So you get okay. something, something, something. Now, how you actually calculate the load average is voodoo. We don't care how, right? What we care about is that the load average is a really good measure of stress of your computer. So it doesn't actually matter what causes the stress. The effect is always to drive the load average up. So let's say that you're doing something which is using all of your CPU. That will drive the load average up. Or if you have something that's hugging all of your RAM and you're having to do a lot of swapping and stuff, that'll drive your load average up. Or if you're writing to your hard disk and your hard disk is too slow to deal with the amount you're writing on it, that'll drive your load average up. So it doesn't actually matter what is making your machine cranky, the effect is always that the load average goes up. So it's a really good stress indicator. Now, what is too high is a really well, good question. And why are there three? Well, my first question wouldn't be that. Ah. My question would be why are there three numbers? Okay, so there are three averages. The one-minute average, the five-minute average, and the 15-minute average. Okay. All right. So the so the first one will fluctuate more and having a high first one is not so much of a problem as long as it goes down again quickly. What's a real problem is a high third one. So if your 15 minute average is high then your machine has been stressed for 15 minutes. And okay. it probably is genuinely stressed. Um so what number is right? And the answer is it depends on how many CPUs you have. Hmm. Basically a load average should always be lower than the number of CPUs you have. If you have two core two two threads like I do in my crappy old core duo, I should never have load averages above two or my machine is under stress. Okay. You have, what do you have? You have... I think I have eight. You have eight. So for you, a load average below eight is fine. So my load average right now is two-ish for 15 minutes. So you're fine. My machine is actually under quite a bit of stress because I have this running and top is quite intensive. I have... The next thing we're going to talk about running, I have Skype running and I have about 20 things open. My poor machine is suffering. I have a load average of three on my two CPUs. Okay. And I so, know my machine is stressed. So what is, I mean, does that mean we need to get it a Valium? I mean, what do you do about it being under stress? That's just a well, fact, right? It's just a fact. But if, you, if you're asking yourself the question, well, first off, if your machine is feeling sluggish and you're saying, is it, is it just my imagination or is, it, is there something wrong? If you're seeing a high load average, straight away, that's a signal to go say, okay, what's eating all my CPU or RAM? Because something is. 
And if you're in the middle of de- transcoding a movie, then you, yes, your machine is under stress, but it's under stress in an exactly way you expect, so you don't worry about it. Okay, okay. But if you're asking yourself the question, do I need more RAM? Or, or even a more basic question, do I need a new computer? <laughs> is it time for an update? If your load averages are always high when you're just doing your normal, everyday run-of-the-mill stuff, then the answer is yes. If your load averages are only high when you're transcoding video or doing something stressful, then the answer is no, you're fine. So it, it's just nice, it's a nice indicator. So I just, I just well, I, I don't like that because it says two and I've got eight and I want a new computer. So we don't <laughs> want Steve to be listening to this, right? Actually, the question would be, I wonder what that looks like when I'm in the middle of doing the live show. I bet I'm stressing it yeah. then. But that would be a really good thing to look at. And the other yeah, thing is we mentioned cool. the uptime command. Uptime also shows load averages as well as how long it's been since you reboot your computer. Oh, it does. So uptime is actually a less stressful way to get the stress indicator of your computer because top is quite a stressful command. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So there you go. So I just thought I'd throw that in there because it's the only place load average makes sense to talk about. And they're actually good to know about. So, so far, I think the conclusion you probably come to is that PS and top are both ick. Right? There was a lot mm-hmm. of flags there and they were messy. They're... I would categorize them as good to know because if you have to log into a computer over SSH or something and you have no GUI, then you have to do it this way. And if you're, you know, you say you have a web server you look after, you have to do it this way. But in the 99% of the time, we can see this identical information coming from the identical source in a really pretty GUI. And the reason is because Apple have provided us with something called Activity Monitor, which you will find in Applications, Utilities, Activity Monitor. And Activity Monitor is best described as a GUI form of top. It performs exactly the same function. But being a GUI, if I want to sort by CPU, I click the CPU column, and then it sorts by CPU. I want to sort by real memory, virtual memory, whatever, I can click blah, 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 blah. Makes sense. The other thing is, those are important things. So you have the columns, you click on them, you sort by them. That makes sense. The other thing I want to draw your attention to is the drop down at the top right. I love Which that. allows you to filter what it is you're seeing. The default, if you've never used Activity Monitor before, is going to be My Processes which is equivalent to PS space minus U, your username, and then the list of columns it chooses to show. So minus O, PID, blah, 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 blah. And that's a nice view, and that's often quite helpful. Sort that by CPU. Then you can see, oh, Skype is the busiest app I started. Not surprising. Uh, But more useful is actually all processes. So at the very top. Uh, But one that I want to draw your attention to just because it's cool is all processes comma hierarchical. Because then it sorts them by the process IDs, and so then you can collapse them. Oh, so I've never looked at it that D. way. Oh, if you collapse nice. Launch D, what do you notice? There are two processes left, kernel and Launch oh, D. Oh, how funny, how funny. So when I said to you that Launch D starts everything, I meant it. Yeah, uh, I do have a bunch of Launch Ds. Inside Launch D, I've got one, two, three, four, five more Launch Ds. You're right, so, so do I now that I see it. So Launch, yeah, so launch D can use Launch D to launch. Other it can get a bit hairy sometimes yeah. in here, right? Yeah, okay, um, so don't do that. Don't look at that. What's also interesting, if you stuff. go back to, so if you filter that, actually if we sort that by user when we look at our own processes, you will see that everything of yours is hanging off, or most things of yours, not everything, but a lot of things of yours should be hanging off your login process, which doesn't run as you, of course, because you haven't logged in yet. So login, where's login? Oh, you can't filter. Actually, yeah, there, you can't filter in the hierarchical view. So the hierarchical view is uh, cool. You can- you can filter on user. So I just changed it to by user. And so under, I can see under Allison, I can see LaunchD. I, within that, I've launched TweetBot, BusyCal, Sketch, blah, blah, blah. 
tablet yeah, we- driver. What the heck? Oh, sorry. Yes? <laughs> sorry. Ah. I've managed to mess. Why, where have half my processes gone? What have I done wrong? Oh, no, I didn't scroll far enough. Never mind. I thought <laughs> I'd broken it. Uh, see, so when I say so filter, that is right, useful. Okay. There's a text box next to that drop down. You can actually type in a filter. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. So login runs as root. Um, oh, but you can't you can't type in the filter but thing when you're in all processes hierarchy. You can't. Yeah. So the all processes hierarchical is cool, but it's not actually that useful. Generally speaking, all processes is actually the best view to really find out what's going on. But the hierarchical is kind of fun just to see what starts what. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that is really neat. So, so there, I have bad news and good news for you, Bart. Okay. The bad news is we have been recording for one hour. The good news is I, I forgot to actually write anything this week for the show, hardly at all. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking about this when I was running today. When I was in college and I took four classes, you know, upper division engineering courses, and I worked 20 hours a week, I got straight A's. When I took three classes and didn't work, I and they were lower division classes, I got two B's and a C minus. So <laughs> retirement is like two B's and a C minus. It's like I have all the time in the world and it's Saturday almost noon and I've written like sixty words so far. So oh dear. <clears throat> <laughs> I have to say I wasn't actually watching the clock. I sort of count on you to subtly whoosh me along if I'm being too slow. Yeah, I looked at it and I said, this is awesome. <laughs> Plus, it was really interesting. And and without letting you get to the end of the story, this would have been just stilted. There wasn't a good break point anyway. There wasn't actually. Now, well, there is now a break point, which is, this is how you see them next time, how we interact with them. And oh, so this is actually our logical break point. We get to point. kill next week, too. Yes, we get to kill or kill minus kill. <laughs> All right. Say good night, Gracie. Uh, okay. Uh, how's about until next time? Happy computing. Sounds good. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at bartb.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartafisser.net. 